together. Let me pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Um, I pray that you'll help me speak clearly, that I'll speak truthfully to your word. I pray that your spirit would move in us to stir in our hearts, to soften our hearts to respond to your word. Give us ears that would listen and hearts that would respond. I pray that you'll be at work as we go through this passage. Amen. So if it's your first week here, welcome. Uh, It's great to have you with us. And over the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And it's been um, really eye-opening. And (laughs) ear-opening. Should I move it closer? You know, we've seen the oxymoron that is the Christian faith. You know, that is in the death of Jesus that we have life. That the Christian faith is foolishness to the world. And we saw that in Corinthians chapter 1. You know, that God would use an execution tool as a means to save all of mankind. That God would use death to bring life. That on a Roman cross where you are tortured, you're bloody and you're beaten, that is where we have our hope. That though it is God who we have all wronged, that is God himself who saves us. You know, the basis of Christianity, the core of Christianity, is exactly this. It's complete foolishness. It doesn't make sense. You know, wisdom and power is found on a cross. You go back 2,000 years ago, criminals and murderers were found on a cross. You know, from the world's perspective, the cross is brutal, it's humiliating, and it's disgusting. But you know, from God's perspective, that's where our sins are dealt with. That's where God meets man, and that's where we can be met by God. So to understand today's passage, we need to know that gospel story. We need to know that our lives are foolishness to the world around us. You know, Corinth had some great speakers, smooth talkers, you know, great rhetoric. You know, they were very good. Heaps of people would flock to Corinth just to hear these people preach. People like Apollos, Cephas, and Paul. And we have a lot in common with Corinth. Corinth was a bustling city. It was a big, everyone flocked there. Social status and social standing was important. Who you knew was important. And this kind of thinking was making its way into the church. Factions were being formed. Alliances and allegiances were being made. The Corinthians, the church in Corinth, were behaving like the world around them. They were striving, and their goals were everything against of what Jesus had done and did. They attributed things to men that only could be attributed to God. They elevated man to where only God should be. And they were more concerned about their status and their power and their influence over one another than the gospel. And that's, that's our first point. It's God's work and ours. In verses 3 to 4, you see Paul drill home a point. Why are you being like the world? Why are you elevating people, putting them on a pedestal? They're just humans. Who's Apollos? Apollos is a man. Who am I? I'm just a servant. Aren't we all just humans in the end? And then read with me. Look at verse 5. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. 
Paul spells it out clearly. You can't get this wrong. Who are we in the end? We're just servants. We're just God's servants. He's saying, you believing in Apollos, you believing in me, that's not going to save you. I bring you the gospel message. That is what's going to save you. We're a means of you coming to your faith. We're only doing our job as God has called us to do. You know, the growth of the individual is always God's work. Read with me verses 6 to 8. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll each be rewarded according to their own labor. The one who plants and the one who waters, that's their job. They'll get rewarded for doing that. Paul and Apollos, they're not working against each other. They're working together so that Christians in Corinth would grow. I wonder, do we behave a bit like the Corinthians? Do we elevate our Christian leaders like the world lifts up theirs? You know, do we follow different Christian leaders and all the other voices are drowned out because of that? That our Christian lives are centered around a person or a ministry? You know, Corinth had people like Apollos and Paul. We have people like Philip Jensen, Steve Chong, Keller, Piper, Chan. Some would even say Co. Some would even say Co. We're actually really blessed right now, where we are in Sydney and how the internet can bring these great Bible teachers right to our fingertips, and some of them sitting in the front row. But have we elevated Bible teachers to a place where they shouldn't be? Have we lifted them up like celebrities where only, you know, every word that they say, we listen to what they say? The point is, is that they bring the gospel message to us. We shouldn't create factions from it. We shouldn't be so aligned and worldly that we create factions even within our own church. Oh, I follow Pastor Pete. I follow Pastor Alan. Or that we elevate that it's our church and only our church, which is good. That if you go to a different church, well, you're not going to really learn about Jesus there. It's a bit ridiculous. Some of you are like, oh, we wouldn't do that. But are we unknowingly doing that? Are we elevating our leaders? And in a sense, are we elevating ourselves above everyone else? Think about it this way. It'd be like going to a really, really nice restaurant. You know, think candlelight dinner, nice harbor view, and you eat the best meal that you've ever, ever had. Right? You come back. Would you go to your friends and go, oh, you've got to check out that restaurant with a harbor view. That's uh, that waiter, Sally, the way that she grinds that pepper. Oh, so good, on point. You wouldn't, right? No one would really celebrate. You might say, oh, the service was good, but the food was what you go for, right? You don't really go to a restaurant for service. You go to the restaurant for the food. And that's what it is here, right? It's the gospel message that is the good stuff. The servant is just doing his or her job. There is a place for honoring those who have taught us the word. But we shouldn't do it like the world does it. We shouldn't elevate them to be like celebrities. We shouldn't follow them like factions and cause divisions within the church. Because it is God who ultimately grows people through his gospel. 
You know, verse 9 now gives us the link into the next section. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field and God's building. Paul calls all Christians that we are all co-workers. Every one of us, all followers of Jesus are co-workers. We work together to build God's building, which is ourselves. The analogy moves from farming into building. Our jobs are assigned by God himself. He's like, he's like the site manager that tells you what to do at the start of the day. And our foundation is to be that of Jesus. That's my second point. Read with me verses 10 to 11. According to, to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one must, do, must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Christ Jesus. Now, why build on Christ Jesus? Why is Jesus our foundation? Well, as Pete said before in his prayer, and as he mentioned before, our foundation of all ministry should be Jesus. The foundation of everything that we do here at Southwest Evangelical Church is that people can come to hear the gospel preach, to respond to the gospel, and to follow Jesus with their lives. I come from Melbourne, and sadly, many churches there have lost the gospel message. They've lost having Jesus as their foundation. Instead, they'll rally different causes like social justice, equality. They'll use love as a slogan, but never explain what love really is. There are more churches closing, being turned into restaurant and boutique apartments than people are hearing about Jesus. You know, when our ministry, when what we do as a church is not based on Jesus, then we're not really a church, nor are we doing God's work. We're not meeting in his name. So our service should be that founded and built on the solid foundation of Christ Jesus. So how do we build on Jesus? Read with me verses 12 to 15. This is how we build on Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what has been built survives, the builder receives a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. This whole passage is for Christians. So Christians, you are still saved. No matter what you build on it, you are still saved. I want you to be sure of that. Paul is not adding to the gospel. You don't have to do anything to become saved. He's saying, now that you are saved, and now that you have Christ Jesus as your foundation, what are you building on it? What are you doing with your Christian life? How are you building on the gospel foundation? It'll either stand for all of eternity, or be burnt up, and you'll be lacking. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are saved. You are secure. What Paul is challenging to the Corinthians, and what he's challenging to us today... What are you doing that will last for all eternity? What are you doing that will last for all eternity? And what are you doing that is only temporary? What we do now is important for all of eternity. What will remain when Jesus returns on that final day, when everything is tested by fire? 
You know, I've called this talk Becoming Fools because the way that the Christians live is foolish. Now, I'm sure if you go back to work, to school, or to your family, and you say, you know, yesterday I went to church. I listened to some guy telling us to become a fool, written by some guy who was dead to a church that doesn't exist anymore over 2,000 years ago. Who would do that? What we're doing right now is foolish. Singing songs and praying, what a waste of time. To the world, what we do is foolish. The money that you give to the church, you could save that up. You could buy material things, get a new car. You can gain experiences like a holiday. You can get your financial security. How foolish of Christians to give to the church. How foolish of Christians to give to God's mission so that people can hear that someone died on a cross in Sydney and all around the world. How foolish is that? The house that you are saving for or the one that you're paying off, that won't last for all of eternity. Getting your kids into selective schools, ensuring they get a good education, a good job, a good degree, that won't last for all of eternity. Getting top grades in school, being the popular kid, that won't last for all eternity. Climbing the corporate ladder, chasing that next pay bracket, getting that corner office, that's not going to last for all of eternity. I think what Paul's talking about here, that is the wood, the hay, and the straw that will be burnt up on the final day. All things, verse 13, will be tested by fire. Everything will be tested by fire. You know what will stand the test of fire, though? You know what the gold, silver, and costly stones looks like? When we pray for our missionaries, God will remember that. When we teach kids in kids' church and creche, that will stand and remain when Jesus returns. When we welcome people at church so they can feel part of the community, welcomed and belong here, that will have an eternal impact as we build each other up. When we pray to encourage each other, to pray and to read the Bible together, when we proclaim and share the good news of Jesus, even if it's rejected every single time. All those things to the world look like complete foolishness, complete waste of your time, money, and effort. But to God, that's the gold, the silver, and the costly stones. The things of this world won't stand. But what is eternal is that as we serve together in the church, as we serve together in the world, as we're building on Christ's foundation, those are the things that will stand. Those are the things that will remain when Jesus returns in all of his glory. Verse 9 said that we are God's building. Now verse 16, moving to verse 16 says that we are God's temple. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in your midst? It's really cool if you ever have the time to trace through the Bible of the idea of the temple of God. In Mount Sinai, God dwelt with his people in a tent. Then David promised to build him a great temple. Solomon actually built that temple. And the idea of the temple was that it was where God would meet with man. And Jesus came and he said, I am the temple. You destroy it and I'll rebuild it in three days. But now Paul is shifting that idea of temple into us, into the church, into Christians, 
that we are God's temple, that the Holy Spirit dwells in our midst right now. We are the metaphorical bricks, stones, and mortar of the temple of God. You are God's temple. Take a moment, think about that. Solomon's huge temple complex, garnered in gold, silver, and precious stones, where God dwelt, and now God dwells in you. You know, Paul's challenging the status quo of the day. You know, they were finding their identity in who they followed, who their leader was. But Paul's saying here, your identity is that you are the temple of God. How much more is that applicable to us today? Our identity isn't that we are part of SWEC or that Pastor Pete is our pastor, that we have this ministry here or that ministry there, a church plant here, a church plant there, but we are the temple of God. We don't find our worth in who we follow, in our work, our relationships, our house, our kids, our pay packet. Our identity is the temple of God. And as the world identifies itself more and more by their sexual orientation, their occupation, that it boasts in its status, power, ability, and its influence, I wonder if you can say, I am the temple of God. Some of you may be thinking to yourselves right now, well, James, you know what? You know, that's not me anyway. I don't have that high view of myself. In fact, I'm the complete opposite. I'm, I'm a nobody at work. I feel depressed. I, I don't fit in anywhere. I don't contribute any, anything to anyone anywhere. I'm insignificant and I'm worthless. Whether you see yourself highly or whether you see yourself lowly, I want this verse to really sink into you. I want it to sink in and to change the way that you see yourself. To see yourself more like how God sees you. This whole passage is to change the way that we look at ourselves, our church, and each other, that we are all servants of God. We all have a a place, that we are all co-workers with Christ, that we are all God's temple. You know, we are important to God, even if we don't feel important in the world. Being a follower of Jesus, we are God's temple, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Our identity is, is, a whole, is God's temple. You might notice I keep saying that over and over again, but that's what I kept getting hung up on this week, over and over again when I kept reading this, that we are God's temple. As broken and stuffed up as we are, God sees us as his temple. And that's why if you look at verse 17, it's worded so strongly. If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy that person. But God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Today, I'm calling all of us here to be fools. I want all of us here as we walk out, go home, go back to work, back to school, that the world around us would call us fools. And that's exactly what Paul wanted the Corinthian church to realize. What Christians are, what we believe, what we do, as we follow Jesus, is foolish, complete foolishness. Look at verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. That's that oxymoron again, isn't it? We should become fools in the eyes of the world 
And what we should do as a church, as individuals, should be complete opposite of the worldly wisdom. So don't be deceived, don't be fooled into thinking that you are wise in this world. Don't be fooled into treating church or its leaders like the world treats its leaders. But be a fool to this world. Focus your life on Jesus and the cross. Embrace the message of the cross. You know, the warning here is not to bring the world's wisdom or the world's ways into the church. You know, the cross goes against that completely. That what we do in church is completely different from the world around us. I think particularly at this moment in history, we need to be reminded of this. And as the tide is turning in our culture, the animosity, the hatred of Christians is becoming more prevalent. We need to stand firm and continue to proclaim a foolish message. That though we may not be accepted, though we may be persecuted, and though we may be hated, we love because Christ has loved us. And we, pro- we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Because look, at me, look with me at verses 19 and 20. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Worldly wisdom is, fu- is foolishness, is futile, and we need to be the ones that are sharing that and proclaiming that and showing them true wisdom that is found in Christ Jesus. And Paul, in verse 21, sums up his whole argument really well. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. It's a command and a summary. Don't boast. There is no need to boast in our human leaders. They're servants. They're Sally with a pepper grinder. What a silly thing to boast about when we have everything already in Christ Jesus. God has made all things ours. Pastor Pete exists because he's following the calling that God has led him to lead this church, teach this church. They exist for our benefit. Preaching exists for our benefit. Whether the world... Life or death, all things are ours in Christ Jesus. All things belong to us. In Christ Jesus alone, we have eternal life. We have security. We have hope for the future. Because of his sacrifice, the Spirit of God now dwells in us as we wait and return for the day of Jesus to come back. So there's no need for us to be dividing over our leaders. We are all servants in one in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we seek your forgiveness for the times that we have lifted up people, for the times we have caused factions and divisions in your church, times where we have thought much of ourselves and very little of you. Father God, please help us see things from your perspective that we may stand firm and be followers of you alone that though we may be fools of this world, that you help us remember we are actually wise for salvation because of the faith that we have in Christ Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.
Our identity, everything that we have, what seems foolish to the world, is in Christ alone. Why don't we stand and sing about that?